Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 21st edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Galavan, Galavan, and Amelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the best resources for staying current in e-discovery. We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Neil Squalante. Neil is the publisher of Litigation World, one of nine free publications in the award-winning Technolawyer Network. You can learn more and subscribe at www.technolawyer.com. Thanks for joining us, Neil. Thank you for inviting me on Digital Detectives. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Well, let's get started, Neil, and, and tell us why you think it's so darn hard to keep up with e-discovery developments. Well, I think the problem is the e part of e-discovery, not so much the discovery, which lawyers have no problem understanding. And I think there's a huge disconnect uh, between the experts who largely write about e-discovery and the average litigator out there. Uh, the experts assume way too much knowledge, and they talk about things like predictive coding and so forth, whereas the average litigator doesn't even understand how a basic computer works and stores information. Uh, the other problem is litigation is such a vast topic, and e-discovery is only part of it. And there are many practice areas in litigation. So the average litigator is trying to keep up with all aspects of litigation, and e-discovery is just one part of that, and probably the most complex. So it's sort of a double whammy. Um, on the bright side, there are a bunch of certification programs in development, which may help the problem, and also a bunch of online resources, which we'll be talking about today. So, so Neil, if you had to name a single resource for keeping up with e-discovery, what would that be? Uh, you mean other than digital detectives, which I assume everyone listening to this podcast already knows about. Uh, if, I can, if I can cheat, there are actually two that I'll discuss, and one of which I'm biased about. It's called Litigation World, which you mentioned is a publication of ours. Every other Monday in Litigation World, we link to about 60 to 70 articles um, regarding if, about litigation, including e-discovery. And the other topics we discover are litigation technology and litigation practice, as well as court opinions about those three topics. And then there's a second resource out there called Info Government's Engagement Area by Rob Robinson. And he does something similar. He aggregates all these links to uh, notable e-discovery articles and other materials on the web. And I actually recommend uh, take, you know, both Litigation World and Info Governance because we, don't, we have a little overlap, but not a lot. For example, Rob will also point to white papers and upcoming seminars, whereas we don't uh, link to that sort of stuff. But as I mentioned, we link to articles about litigation practice and litigation technology as well. I don't know if you know this, but Rob Robinson is uh, one of our very close friends. So we, we, we appreciate that. And we definitely think that his resource is wonderful, as is Litigation World. So those really are two fine resources. Mm -hmm. 
I was really interested to to hear from you as we were communicating in preparation for this podcast that you don't read anything about e-discovery in print. I know it's a, an electronic world out there, but one print publication I read religiously is Law Technology News, and most especially anything written by the extraordinarily brilliant and witty Craig Ball. Tell us why you don't do print, Neil. Are you just woolly electronic? Well, actually, uh, you know, we had that discussion via email, but to clarify, I do read print publications. I just don't read them in print format. <laughs> so uh, I've ne- I never even liked print growing up as a kid uh, before computers and the iPad came along. But now, uh, since about 10 years ago, I really stopped reading print magazines. Fortunately, I do read a lot of technology news, but they publish everything on their website. And it often appears there before it actually comes in your mailbox. And... Um, we we publish a we actually publish a newsletter called Blog World, which is another aggregated newsletter. And whenever LTN comes out, we actually link to all their articles in a special section on LTN. So it's a great way to make sure you never miss anything in that magazine. Um, another example is Litigation Support Magazine. Now that's also a print publication, but they publish a PDF of each issue on its on their website. And so I tend to read the PDF version. And then just a third example, Trial Magazine which I think is one of the best litigation magazines out there. It's not about e-discovery per se, uh, and it's not free. You have to join the American Association for Justice. But again, if you join, you don't have to actually read the print publication. They also make the publication available on their website. So uh, I do read print publications. I just don't read them in print. That that's really interesting to me because I guess I've gotten sufficiently old that my eyes can't take reading everything off of a monitor, so I have to I have to mix it up a little bit with the print version. Well, you know, the beauty of the iPad, unlike uh, unlike a typical web browser, is that you can enlarge the uh, type so that it's actually easier to read on an iPad uh, if you want larger type than even on paper. I still like holding the paper. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you. Many Hang times I've seen you, I've days. seen many times I've seen you take electronic versions and print them, Sharon. Yes, yes, I, I confess. You're right, John. <laughs> well, Neil, I was surprised that, that you don't follow groups on LinkedIn and Facebook, although I know Sharon who who does follow them grumbles that, that many have been co opted by marketers. You don't follow I I heard you don't follow Twitter either. Uh, can you tell us why you don't use those social media resources? Yeah, sure, a couple of reasons. First of all, there, the signal-to-noise ratio, as you just alluded to, is a little too low. And just to give you a couple of examples, let's say, uh, let's say that you want to put together, you know, want to follow a bunch of people on Twitter in the e-discovery space, and you spend a Saturday conducting research and you follow about 25 people. Uh, what you're going to find is number one, when people just write 140 characters about something as complex as e-discovery, there's just not going to be much meat there. Now, the one thing Twitter is good for are links to interesting articles and so forth. The problem is that most of the people tweeting are either tweeting about their own articles or even if they are pointing to the resources, they're not being paid by Twitter, certainly, and they're probably not being paid to actually aggregate that information, um, or at least it's only a, it's only a small part of their job. And so the result, again, is just a low signal-to-noise ratio. The same thing goes for LinkedIn groups. Uh, as Sharon mentioned, there are a lot of people promoting their services, so the signal-to-noise ratio is very low. Um, I mentioned before a couple of resources that I think do a better job of this because they have full-time editors, and one is Litigation World, where we link to about 70 articles every couple of weeks, and the other is Rob's Info Governance Engagement Area. The second, the second reason 
is that TechnoLawyer itself is a social network. Uh, we have about 14,000 members. And in addition to those aggregated newsletters, we have a couple of newsletters written entirely by our members. So, uh, for example, if someone submits you know, a two-sentence article on LinkedIn, that would just go out to the group. But we'll write back to them and say, you know what, you've got a good idea here, but can you please flesh it out and add X, Y, and Z? Then they'll resubmit. And so as a result, we only publish quality content. But it's, it's crowdsourced, so it's written by our 14,000 members. Mm-hmm. Well, we know you mm-hmm. love blogs, so tell us about some of your favorite blogs. Sure, I have a lot to talk about. Uh, in litigation world, every week we uh, give out an award to the pick of the week. And so some of these blogs uh, have won our pick of the week award. And first I should mention, again, I assume everyone knows about Ride the Lightning, which I recommend that everyone read. So I'll discuss some blogs other than yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> all right. First of all, uh, if you're going to just read one blog because you don't have time, it should probably be the Electronic Discovery Law Blog, which is published by K&L Gates, which is a law firm. And they basically cover the most, typically the most important cases in the e-discovery space, appellate opinions, basically. And so that's a good way to keep up with what's going on in e-discovery, especially issues that scare lawyers like spoliation and sanctions and so forth. Uh, Second is a publication called e-discovery daily, which is published by a vendor called cloud nine discovery, but you wouldn't know it from reading the blog because they never really talk about their own products. And that's what makes it so good. It's written by a guy named Doug Austin, who I recently met at legal tech. And uh, they also cover interesting e-discovery cases and they do it in a more fun way, to be honest, than electronic discovery law. Uh, so it's a little more fun to read. Uh, the next blog is called The E-Discovery Myth. And by the way, I would just uh, search in Google for these names rather than me give you the URLs. You'll easily find all these. They'll pop up first. The next blog is The E-Discovery Myth. And this is written by a law firm called LeClaire Ryan. And in particular, two lawyers there, Dennis Kiker and Daryl Shetterly. And the reason I like this blog is because it's it's written by lawyers as opposed to industry insiders. And so they sort of give you a view of e-discovery from the practicing litigator's perspective, which I think is valuable. And it's and it's it's actually hard to find because as I mentioned, most of the writing out there is, is done by the experts. And another blog in that vein is uh, e-discovery law alert, which is written by uh, lawyers at Gibbons, which is a large law firm in New Jersey. And they sort of have a similar mission as e-discovery myths in covering e-discovery from the perspective of practicing lawyers. Uh, the next blog is uh, Bowtie Law, which is written by Joshua Gilliland. And he, uh, he, he will take a look at e-discovery cases, but instead of just summarizing them, at the end, he'll actually provide some lessons, like here's how not to get sanctioned like the guy in this case. And uh, we like his work so much that we actually hired him as a columnist. So he, uh, his first column is actually going to be published today in Litigation World. And so I highly recommend his blog, Bowtie Law. Uh, next is a blog called Law and Technology, which is not e-discovery only, but they do, but they do discuss, discuss e-discovery issues. And it's written by a guy named Ben Kirschberg, who uh, has some very unique insights on e-discovery, particularly on the technology side uh, of the equation. And then finally, you mentioned earlier Craig Ball. Uh, most people know him for his Ball in the Court column in Law Technology News. However, he also has a blog by the same name, 
And I highly recommend uh, that blog as well. There's his his blog posts tend to be shorter than his columns, but uh, they're they're every bit as insightful. And by the way, we regularly link to all these blogs in litigation world. Um, next is um, a blog called Catalyst. And originally, this was your typical vendor blog. So it wasn't that interesting. And I think they realized that it wasn't that interesting. So they hired Bob Ambrosi, who is both a lawyer and a journalist. And that would get my award for most improved blog. Uh, Bob's done some good work there, and I expect it to get better. And then finally, a couple of uh, publications that aren't really blogs per se, but worth a mention. Um, there's a blog, there's a um, newsletter called The Third Branch, which is the monthly newsletter of the federal court system. A lot of people don't know about it. And it's really written for the judges and the clerks and the court system. But, uh, but, but it's freely available on the uh, uscourts.gov website. And I highly recommend reading it each month. And we link to each issue in litigation world. And then finally, going strong after all these years, the Lit Support Yahoo group, which has close to 10,000 members. And that's basically an email group, except you can read all the email messages on the web, so you don't have to actually receive all those email messages. And again, you can find all these by just searching for them. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, you mentioned a lot of folks that uh, that we know personally as well, you know, Josh and Ben Kirschberg and Craig and all those guys. So we, mu- we must be following some similar things. But Ben brings us coffee now, now and again because he lives locally. <laughs> right. Um, well, we, we also know you have favorite podcasts as, as well, Neil. Which ones do you follow and why? And, and no fair, you can't mention this one. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, that's an unfair question. Then uh, this, is, <laughs> this is obviously my favorite. In fact, it's kind of surreal. You know, one minute you're listening to Digital Detectives, the next minute you're a guest on the show. Uh, but actually, in reality, there I have not found a lot of quality podcasts out there. In fact, there aren't a lot of podcasts. Period. On eDiscovery, there's Digital Detectives, of course, and then there's two others in the Legal Talk Network, which I you know I think those three are pretty much the best in the business. And I'm not just saying that to uh, to compliment you guys on your on your show. But obviously the ESI report and Law Technology Now, um, and then the only uh, the only other eDiscovery podcast of note that I'm familiar with is ESI Bytes by uh, Carl Shinneman, who works at a company called Review Less. But really, not a lot going on in the podcast space versus uh, versus publications that you read. Yeah, you've you've mentioned our favorites there too, and we do like ESI Bytes a lot as well as the LTN podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Omelia, creators of the digital war room platform for eDiscovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single eDiscovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 
888-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking to Neil Squilante, the publisher of Litigation World, one of the many publications of the TechnoLawyer Network. Neil, tell us a little bit more about TechnoLawyer and what it offers lawyers trying to keep up with e-discovery, especially some of your uh, columnists. And before before you get going, let me just say that I've been following TechnoLawyer publications for many years, and I found them an invaluable resource. So if, if listeners have not signed up, I certainly urge them to. Uh, thank you very much for the kind words. Yeah, as you mentioned at the outset, we have nine publications, and they pretty much appeal to uh, lawyers and law firm administrators, no matter what your role. We we uh, hope to have something for everyone. Of most interest to the audience listening to this podcast is our Litigation World newsletter. I mentioned that every other Monday, we publish an issue in which we aggregate links to uh, to great articles out there on e-discovery as well as litigation practice and litigation technology. But that's so that's about 26 issues a year. But we publish 75 issues a year of Litigation World. So in those other issues, we publish our own material. And uh, so I'll just run through some of our columnists. Um, and by the way, Litigation World is a very young publication. We launched it in January 2011, and uh, it's already come a long way. It has about 8,400 subscribers. Uh, first of all, this year, we're going to be publishing a bunch of product reviews. So litigation software, typically, you can't find a lot of product reviews out there. And so we're one of the few places that will review products like CaseMap summation concordance. And what we're doing new this year is in conjunction with a guy named Bruce Olson, whom I'm sure you know as well. He works at a company called OnLaw Trial Technologies, and we're setting up something called the OnLaw Litigation World Lab. So he's going to create a set of data. And every time he reviews a litigation review product, for example, or an e-discovery product, he's going to run it through the same set of data. And this way, all his reviews will use the same set of data. So you can actually compare the different reviews in a way uh, in which you can uh, make a make a good decision about which one to buy. Uh, in it, some of our other columnists include uh, Kim Gunning. She is a litigator at Terrell Marshall, Dowd & Willie in Seattle. And she is a civil procedure geek. So she writes a lot about motion practice and litigation strategy uh, in the early part of litigation. Uh, another columnist of ours that we added this year is a guy named Ed Good. He is a lawyer who has a really interesting job. He's a writer in residence at Finnegan, Henderson, uh, Faribault, Garrett, and Dunner, which is the world's largest firm devoted to intellectual property. And he writes about writing because that's what he does at the firm. He's the firm's writer in residence. So he's writing a bunch of columns on legal writing tips and how to write more persuasively. Uh, then we have someone you definitely know, Tom O'Connor, who works at Avancic. He's, a, uh, he's an e-discovery consultant. And he, uh, hearkening back to that first issue we talked about, he is writing a series of columns called eDiscovery 101, in which he's not assuming any knowledge. So he's not discussing issues like pre predictive coding or some of these advanced issues. In fact, he's doing the opposite. He is actually covering stuff like how a computer works, how it stores information. Because to understand things like deduplicating and predictive coding, you first have to understand how information is stored. So that's a really interesting series of columns. And then uh, finally, I mentioned before that uh, we like bow tie, law, bow tie law so much 
that we hired Josh uh, to write a series of columns. And he's going to summarize some of the lessons from court opinions pertaining to both e-discovery as well as depositions. Let's not forget depositions because testimony is also an important form of evidence. And then we also have some guest columnists throughout the year as well. Well, let, let me just break in him for a minute just to give a little uh, publicity to our old friends uh, Tom and Bruce because they are writing a book together which will be published very shortly on, uh, and I'll probably get the title wrong, John, but it's uh, something like e-discovery in smaller cases. Uh, and we're expecting that book out very shortly and it should be excellent. Yeah, no, I agree. They've both been, uh, they've both talked about that issue and uh, look forward to their book. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Neil, we always recommend the Sedona Conference and it's uh, the free publication, the excellent free publications that they have. Is, is that on your list too? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly if you work in you know, large, complex cases, because that's pretty much what the Sedona Conference focuses on. And, uh, and it's not e-discovery only. They discover, just like litigation world, they discover all sorts of aspects of complex litigation. Uh, one of the little secrets of Sedona Conference is, you know, if you can't really afford to go out to the conference, or if you're more interested in the educational materials than in the networking that goes on at a conference like that, uh, you mentioned they have a bunch of free publications, but also after each conference, they publish all the articles that are presented at the conference, for, and you can buy them for about 95 bucks from the website, which is probably a lot cheaper than, uh, you know, flying there and, uh, and paying for the conference fees. So uh, a little known fact about Sedona Conference. Yeah, that's a, other, that's a really good point. Yeah, the other, uh, just a couple of other interesting conferences, uh, not conferences so much, uh, but, you know, if you are a litigator, I feel that, you know, if you can afford to spend money on only one class this year, I still think the needed classes on depositions and trials, even though they're not related to discovery, are just classic courses that every litigator should take. And then there's a guy named Terry Vaughn who's doing something really interesting, and this does apply to e-discovery. Uh, he realizes that when you go to a trade show like Legal Tech or ILTA, and you spend one minute in a booth here and five minutes in a booth there, you don't really get a feel for how these very complex products work, because e-discovery software tends to be some of the most complex products in the legal space. So he is, uh, I don't know if this will succeed because his first one's coming up, but he is doing something called Demo Palooza in Cancun. So basically you go to this Cancun resort <laughs> and all these legal vendors will be there, all these discovery vendors, and you will get very in-depth demos of all of these products so that theoretically after you uh, go back home, you can actually make decisions about which products to buy for your law firm. And that's at Demopalooza.com. Again, this is his first try doing this, so we'll see if it succeeds. But it's an interesting concept. It, it sure is. Neil, we've got about five minutes or so left, so I know we had two or three subjects that we had talked about. Why don't you pick the subject of your choice here from our remaining topics and just tell us what you'd like to talk about? Uh, sure. Let me quickly mention two, and we'll, we'll skip the webinars, I guess. Um, num uh, I mentioned that we have uh, some guest columnists in litigation world. One person who's writing a column this year is a Duke Law professor named Marin Levy. Uh, most, uh, you know, most academic writing in legal really has very little to do with uh, the, you know, the everyday litigator. Uh, professor Levy is different. She is actually researching how federal court system works because it's sort of like a black box that no one knows about. So in other words, how do courts decide which cases they'll hear? How do the courts decide who will write the opinion? how to court decide which opinions will be published, et cetera. So these are really important issues, and she's doing some really important work in that area. And then finally, uh, you mentioned that we should talk about some hot trends in e-discovery. 
Uh, I have four, and we'll, I'll try to get through as many of them as possible, but by far the hottest trend is social media. Now, earlier I dissed social media as a place to learn about e-discovery, but on the flip side, it's incredibly an important resource for e-discovery. In other words, uh, particularly in consumer cases like divorce, child custody, personal injury, et cetera, lawyers uh, are extremely interested in how to authenticate this kind of evidence, how to preserve it, how to collect it, et cetera. So that's a very, very hot issue. Uh, another hot issue you just mentioned earlier is e-discovery in small cases, because most of the products out there are actually geared at these humongous cases, but most litigations are actually quite small. And uh, you mentioned uh, your sponsor, uh, which makes a product called Digital War Room Pro, and they're sort of on the vanguard of handling these smaller cases. And I should disclose that they're also a client of ours. Uh, concordance and summation are, of course, um, traditional software that can handle smaller cases as well. And then uh, the other trend I'm noticing is internal processing. Basically, in the early days of e-discovery, law firms would outsource the processing of the data that was collected, and then they would review it in-house. Now law firms are actually beginning to process that data in-house, and they see it as a profit center using products like Law Pre-Discovery, for example. And then the final trend is predictive coding or computer-assisted review, whatever you want to call it which is basically for these humongous litigations with uh, millions of documents using a combination of lawyers who are familiar with the case as well as special software to reduce a data set. Because even in a, even in a very large case, they're really, at the end of the day, only going to be about 500 to 1,000 relevant documents. And the question is, how do you get from a million documents down to those 500? And predictive coding, it's still too early to tell you, but that might be the solution that finally does that. Well, thank you for joining us today, Neil. We've really enjoyed all the wonderful Technolawyer publications over the years. And again, if you're not signed up, you can visit www.technolawyer.com. And thanks so much for sharing your knowledge of e-discovery resources with those who listen to our podcast. Thanks for inviting me again. I really enjoyed it. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find more about Sensei's computer forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.